Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. We just interviewed the superstar Stephen Pressfield. We've done uh, three of his books before, The War of Art, Turning Pro and Do the Work. He's also got some other books like Nobody Wants to Read Your Shit. He's got a bunch of fiction books. He's got a bunch of non-fiction historical books. He's also got uh, movies, uh, The Legend of Bag of Vance I just watched on Disney+. Plus. All-around superstar, very prolific writer. All-around superstar, huge success, but we'll find out it wasn't always that way. He crawled through a whole bunch of crap and really struggled his whole career through. And uh, as you find out, he really did apply a lot of his lessons from his books to his own career and obviously so much we can learn from him also. We'll kick it off with the first question. We've heard you say that uh, you believe everybody's got a calling uh, maybe an authentic swing, maybe an underground river flowing through them. How much can we go out and find our calling or cultivate our calling versus how much does our calling sort of come to us? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, I, I think we sort of go out and, and search for it until it comes to us. You know, if, if uh, it's like if we were geniuses, somehow we'd know right away but I think in reality, we have to beat our heads into 50 different walls before it finally becomes clear to us what it is. And then when you look back on it, you go, oh, so obvious. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I think a lot of times we have, at least for me, like I, I knew for years that my calling was to be a writer. But... I couldn't access it, you know. I just kept trying and failing, trying and failing, and and, and uh, um, just finally, um, just through beating my head into the wall long enough, it sort of finally fell into place. But uh, I was searching for something that was already there all the time, and it just took years for it to finally, finally click. If that makes any sense. Yeah, definitely. What were you doing in that time? I guess between. Yeah, I guess, well, what were you doing in all those years before, I guess, you, you became what you wanted to become? Um, I first sort of tried to be a writer, tried to write, you know, a book and, and choked at the last minute. And then I sort of fell into a period of working a million crazy jobs, you know, in various parts of the United States, you know, um, I drove trucks, I worked in the oil fields, I picked fruit, I taught school, I worked in advertising. Um, and uh, um, a lot of that was just running away from writing, just not doing it, you know? And then little by little, I sort of, I finally kind of found work writing for the movies. And I had about a 10 year career as a really shitty movie writer. And, uh, but that was great training. And that was sort of finally kind of carrying me toward the day when I finally was able to actually write a book and get it published. So it was uh, half of it was running away from writing and the other half was sort of on the road to writing, you know. But yeah. it took like well, 28 not, years, I think. Well, is that 28 years from, you know, you're doing a normal day-to-day -day job? Uh, how long were you doing a you know, side hustle, doing your art on the side. How long was that that whole period? But And the whole time, I guess, you didn't know it was going to work out in the end. So it was a lot of uncertainty, I'd imagine, when you were just having a crack. Yes, a lot of uncertainty and a lot of times of, of dear friends and bosses saying to me, 
like they say to everybody, Steve, get it together. You know, face reality. <laughs> Give this up, you know. You're, you're going nowhere. You're going down the toilet. You know, become a regular person, you know. And, and I would try. I would try. I would say, you know, okay, you're right. You're right. I'm crazy. Let me go. But I would, at the end of a day's work, I'd be so depressed that I just uh, couldn't keep going. You know, I'd have to like work nights or work weekends trying to write something, even though that was going nowhere either. <laughs> well, I've got to, is it, let's say if it didn't work out and you weren't a successful writer, would you still, it's the right path to take because it's, you know, following your, the, who you're meant to be, so to speak. And let's say if it didn't work out and you weren't a successful writer, do you think that's still the best decision for someone in your shoes to, who is, you know, going through a similar journey to make the, make a similar decision? That's a great question. You know, it's because um, I know there are many, many, many people out there who are pursuing, you know, something they love, whether it's writing or some other thing, and have not broken through. I mean, how many people can actually be, quote, unquote, successful? Not very many. So um, it's a tough call. But I did it for so many years, and I wasn't successful, and I was okay with that. But, uh, um, you know, I do have a theory sort of from, from the movie business, from kind of watching people who move to Hollywood and try to succeed in the movies. It seems to me that if, if somebody sticks around for 10 years and really tries, you know, doesn't just dabble, but really tries, they, they find something. You know, it might not be what they originally dreamed of. You know, they might want to be an actor, a director, and they wind up being a writer. Or they might want to be a writer and they wind up being a producer of some kind. But I do think if you can hang in for 10 years, really going for it in a creative field, and if you have some talent, um, it does seem that a lot of people do succeed. And some succeed quite spectacularly you must have been uh were you below average then because you were closer to 20 years than 10 how did you keep pushing past the 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 10 year mark because obviously if you gave up 15 or 16 or 17 years in someone would say man you had a great crack at it um but you you wouldn't have got to that end point of actually achievement i mean i think in my case like i said when i try something else some alternative I would get so depressed that I just couldn't. So I had to keep trying. And then at, at some point, like when I started having a career as a screenwriter, or at least making money, even though I didn't have a career, then, then at least I was in the game. And I was getting a paycheck and you had hope, you know. You know, you might have had a flop and another flop and you couldn't sell anything, but you always thought, oh, the next one, the next one's going to work, you know. So that keeps you going. And you got, I was crazy. And we read... Uh, Nobody wants to read your shit, uh, and it, it's. I'm sure, like looking back, it seems to all make sense. But at the time, going from advertising to fiction to Hollywood, back to fiction to nonfiction to self-help to porn, uh, it probably didn't make sense at the time as you're going through it. But I'm sure all of that was just like learning and skill development along the way. Uh, what do you think is the best way to learn and develop your skills? I mean, there's no substitute for somehow being in your field. You know rather than being a waiter or, you know, working at Hooters or something like that. Oh, do they have Hooters down under? Unfortunately not, but I have been, I have graced <laughs> that establishment once. Yeah. 
There's no substitute for getting work in your field, like what they say, getting a seat at the table. And also, I think there's, there's no substitute for if you can find a mentor or a boss, somebody you're working for, some outfit where you're getting feedback on and, and, and instruction on what you're doing. So uh, that, that seems to, to really be, you know, you can go to school. You can get degrees and stuff like that. I don't, personally, I don't believe in that. I think it's not real. I think it's much better to be really in the field, even working in like in porn. I mean, I only did one rewrite on a porn flick, but I would not look down my nose at somebody that worked in porn as a writer, or let's say as a writer, not necessarily as an actor. Yeah, I think it was good to clarify that, Steve. I'm happy, I'm happy we clarified that because people are probably typing into their favorite engine, Stephen Pressfield. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but it, it, as long as you're actually working in the field, you're learning. Yeah, I love it. I think uh, it's I think just hard I, to get in the field a lot of the times. So that's yeah, the yeah. problem. Yeah, I bet. There's a, there's a couple of books uh, we've read that sort of have different different approaches to learning and skill development. Uh, one sort of approach is like the going deep. That's like the Malcolm Gladwell, Anders Ericsson, 10,000 hours. Pick your field and work really hard in that field to get that deliberate practice. Then a different approach is range david epstein who he says go from uh different fields gather different experiences learn different skills in different areas and then uh like later down the track you combine these different skills i guess from an from an outsider looking in like to your career they might have said you went deep in writing they might have said you've gone deep in writing you've, you've put in that deliberate ten thousand hours practice in writing but maybe to a writer they say oh you've gone very wide you've gone you know movies you've gone advertising you've gone porn you've gone non-fiction you've gone fiction um how do you think how, how i guess can you rationalize or uh balance out that those approaches the going wide versus going deep uh you know i'd never heard that before that's really interesting um i think actually i i did both but I would say when going wide was a lot of the jobs I had that had nothing to do with writing, that were real life jobs, you know, where you where you learn learn lessons, you know, that that last year, um, you know, uh, I was telling this story on another podcast that I was on. Um, I was working for a trucking company. I was driving trucks, and uh, I kept screwing. Can I, can we yeah, can we yeah. use swear words on the Fuck show? Yeah. Fuck yeah. I kept fucking up. I kept, you know, dropping <laughs> loads and being late. And I just, I was really struggling and I had a boss and he called me in his office one day and he said, son, you know, I, I, I can see you're working out some kind of a journey. I don't know what it is and I don't care, but let me tell you something. This company you're working for is a commercial enterprise designed to make money. And your job is to live to deliver the fucking load that I put on the back of your truck, you know? So get it together. I don't care what your problem is, get it together, you know? And that was like, that's kind of going wide, right? But that is a, a lesson, you know, it was like, thanks, I needed that type of thing <laughs> that stays with you. So I, I would say both going wide and going narrower are great. Yeah, it's so good. Before you were mentioning how the importance of getting a mentor along the way or learning from other people who have uh, learned. So for you, what was your mentor, uh, whether it be people or whether it be lessons in, in books? 
Um, what external influence did you did you take on to help you on your journey? Ah, that's a great question too. I mean, I've had a million mentors, you know, um, people that I've worked for. Like I say, that the guy that my boss at the trucking company was a great mentor to me, you know, in that sort of way. But I also um, I worked with a partner, with a writing partner, for years in screenwriting. And although he never like mentored me in the sense of you know, listen to this kid and do it this way. But watching what he did and how he worked and how he thought was tremendous because we were working together, you know, six hours a day, every day for years and years. So, um, but I also am a big believer in, as mentors, in dreams, dreams that you have at night. You know, if you really pay attention to them, you know, I mentioned a few of them in The War of Art and then a couple of other books, you know, the Largo dream that I had. And uh, but a lot of times I think your unconscious is your own Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know, and will kind of come through for you in certain moments. Um, but there are mentors everywhere. I think I've had hundreds of them, really, people that, that helped me along the way. I find it so interesting, the dreams part. Can you uh, elaborate a bit more on how dreams are speaking to us because I mean, I don't remember all of my dreams, but they just seem so bizarre and it's hard to, you know, decipher what it's actually saying afterwards. So how do you uh, look at dreams and, and decipher when it's such a wacky, wild um, movie script, what's going on? Uh, well, there certainly are books out there that are about interpreting dreams. One of my favorites is a book called Inner Work by Robert Johnson. That's kind of my Bible for dream interpretation. But also, um, there are certain dreams that a friend of mine calls two-by-four dreams, which are like your unconsciousness hits you over the head so <laughs> obviously that you can't possibly miss it. You know, now there's one dream. I don't know. Uh, do you guys know who Roseanne Cash is? The daughter of Johnny, Johnny Cash, Cash, the singer. Yeah, yeah. And uh, she wrote a great book. Uh, kind of a memoir called Composed. And I've cited this in a couple of my books. And here's a dream that she had. She used to idolize Linda Ronstadt, the singer, and always wanted to do albums like Heart Like a Wheel and stuff like that. I don't know if you guys remember those, but, you know, trust me, she was great. So Rosanne Cash had a dream. And in the dream, she was at a party. And she was sitting with, uh, there, she was, there was an older man, like a kind of a mentor type of figure. She was sitting on one side of him and Linda Ron, and his name was Art. In the dream, she somehow knew his name was Art. And she was sitting on one side and Linda Ronstadt was sitting on the other. And Art was deeply engrossed in a conversation with Linda Ronstadt. And Roseanne was really feeling left out. And she sort of tried to break into the conversation. Art kind of turned to her with a withering look and said, we don't bother with dilettantes. And he turned back and she said, Roseanne said, she woke up from that dream like shaken to the core. And she said, she realized that she was a dilettante, that she was, had always wanted to write her own material but she was just covering other people's songs or else working with other writers. And so she said, after that dream, she just changed her life entirely. And she started uh, um, 
with into fitness. She practiced with her voice. She enrolled with voice teachers. She started studying art, painting art, so that she could approach it, some things without words. And she just committed herself to a whole other level of seriousness. So that's the case where that dream was a real mentor to her. And that character art that came out of her own unconscious was just like Obi-Wan Kenobi walking into your living room and kicking you in the ass, you know? <laughs> uh, so I think that we all have have dreams like that. The, the trick, I think, is to take your dreams seriously and, and pay attention to them. Um, because as you do, if you start and you like take, you know, little notes with a recorder or something like that, you get better at it. You remember your dreams more and you, and you can interpret them more. So I'm a, I'm a big believer in dreams. I always pay attention to them. Love that. Love that. Why do you think so many people uh, say that they want to do things, but then don't actually do it? Obviously, on one end, you've got Roseanne Cash, who said she wanted to do all these, uh, you know, write her own songs and perform her own songs. And she was, she was doing music, but she wasn't doing her own music. Or then you've got on the other end of the scale, I guess, people who are working a job who say they want to quit and write a book or quit and start a business or, you know, they, they say they want these things but never actually do it. Well, it's like in the War of Art, I talk about this force of resistance with a capital R. And that, I mean, that's what it is. It's our own force of, of uh, fear of living out our dream, right? What if we fail, et cetera, et cetera. That's kind of a resistance with a capital R is a universal negative force that, uh, we can say we want to do it, but then this force appears to distract us, to make us procrastinate, to undermine our confidence with self-doubt, um, you know, to, to, to sabotage us. And we all have it. It's in the air. Believe me, I've gotten 10,000 emails from people on that subject. So the one thing I would say is if you have that uh, urge to do something, don't talk about it. Don't ever tell anybody that you're going to do it unless you are going to do it because, you know, it's uh, bad karma. It's bad juju to talk about. <laughs> Just do it. Yeah, you, you, the whole concept of resistance has been so powerful for so many people. I love how it characterizes it as a villain. So in your own personal story, you know, up until understanding who the villain is, you don't know really what to be attacking. So once you know it pops up, you know, this is who we're fighting today and this is, the, this is the villain for me to, you know, my own hero's journey, so to speak. Um, it's been, what, it's almost 18 years since you wrote that absolutely phenomenal book. Has, has the resistance sort of transformed itself with modern times and kind of changed in different ways since you, since you wrote it? I mean, since they invented social media, that's <laughs> like the worst, you know, distracting oh, yeah, oh, yeah. form in the world, you know, the most seductive, you know, um, so yeah, there's so many distractions nowadays, um, but I'm sure it was just as bad for Plato, uh, <laughs> you know, 2,500 years ago. Yeah. So I, I don't think it's, it's a, it's a timeless universal negative force. If somebody wants to battle this resistance, if somebody wants to, you know, start to move towards their calling, start to move towards, uh, uncovering the things that they want to be doing, uh, what are some of those initial steps? How can we first like go from, from, from uh, I guess, naive and innocent, not knowing the, what's ahead of us? How do we take those first steps to start battling the resistance? Um, you know, it's like it's, it's just a long, long, hard struggle. Everybody <laughs> finds their own way. I mean, my, you know, you have 
my book behind you, Turning Pro, in the middle there. And that sort of what worked for me was the idea of stopping thinking of myself as an amateur and thinking of myself as a professional. Not in the sense of, oh, I'm only going to work for money, but rather that, because a lot of times nobody wants to pay you money, even no matter what, but of thinking, um, I'm in this for real. I'm a professional. I'm not fucking around. I'm not dabbling. I'm not a weekend warrior. I'm not an amateur. I'm in this for real. Taking yourself seriously. And, um, you know, uh, if you think about the way a, an amateur works, I always say an amateur has amateur habits and a pro has professional habits. And they're completely different. And an, an amateur, when he or she meets adversity, they fold. Right. If it's a if it's a rough patch, they've got uh, um, struggles in their in their real life that drag them away from their art or whatever it is, they'll fold. Um, another whereas a professional will not fold. Another thing, the classic amateur mindset is to ask yourself, well, how do I feel? Do I feel like doing this today? And feeling is complete bullshit. That pro does never ask him, himself or herself, how do I feel? The pro does the work no matter what, you know? And in fact, on those days when you really don't feel like it, sometimes those are the best days. So a pro has a complete different attitude. A pro shows up every day. A pro shows up and stays on the job every day, at least as much as they can. Another thing about a pro is a pro plays hurt. If you think about any athlete, you know, you've always got your ankle is tweaked, your shoulders screwed up, you know, you broke your finger, whatever it is. But whereas the amateur will say, oh, man, I've got a headache. I, you know, I've got hemorrhoids. I can't play today, you know. But a pro says, I don't care if my leg's broken and the bone is showing through the skin, you know, I'm going to I'm going to play. So it is that's a great way to get over a lot of the hump is just, just make flip that switch in your mind if you can and say i'm not an amateur anymore i'm a pro nice i tweaked my back in the shower this morning but i'm pushing through the pain for the podcast i don't know if that that <laughs> after six years we're finally that's, turning pro maybe that's, that's, not, the same. Pro, right? that's, maybe that's not the same level <laughs> <laughs> well it's so easy to uh rationalize with yourself like that question how do i feel like right now around the world people go to every, oh i've had a tough week i've had a tough month and if you're like oh, i'll just let myself sleep in today i'll just let myself go off and and relax i i deserve it um so i guess that it, it seems like it's easiest to turn amateur when things are going bad almost um when you're saying you know that's probably the only time to go pro so yeah i feel like that's a that's a rationalization that uh actually i was just chatting to you before you lost 8 kilos three weeks over three weeks ago and then what was the rationalization that crept in yeah there's always i think i feel like in dieting there's always rationalizations there's always a reason not to stick with the new the new diet or the new re fitness regime or the whatever it is obviously new business new writing all these things there's rationalizations everywhere yeah no doubt about it i mean there's a you know there are always little encouraging things like there's a there's a famous fitness guy here in the states called jack Lalane that i'm sure you guys have never heard of but he used to say it's okay to skip a day at the gym, but on that day, you can't eat. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's good. 
And another thing I've heard about Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, you know him that, you know, yeah. they say uh, most people, even super duper fitness guys will, or gals will take a, have a cheat meal or something like that. They say The Rock never has a cheat meal. <laughs> so I've, I've always, I mean, I do, but I'm really inspired by people that work like that, you know, like David Goggins that just never knocks off no matter how much he wants to. It's too good, too good. Uh, what rules of writing can apply to life? Obviously, your book, uh, Nobody Wants to Read That Shit, had so many different rules of writing from different areas that apply to writing in different areas as well. But how, what about applying the rules of writing to, to life? Um, I mean, it's just, they're, it's a parallel. It's the exact same thing, really. Um, one thing, this is, a, this is a, just for whatever this is worth, this is also a, a kind of a, a military concept that, I, and I think a lot of these apply to writing and to life. And uh, one of them is what they call mission specific orders, you know, that the mission is everything. And as you start on whatever it is, if you're in the infantry, if you're flying, if you're a fighter pilot, as the day begins, you got a mission, right? You're going to go, you know, it's like the blues brothers were on the mission and uh, and and that's a that's just a great thing for for any kind of writing or any kind of thing in life to say i'm going to do this fucking thing i don't care what gets in my way and um that's a that'll pull you through a lot of stuff nice the other one i i thought was uh you know uh the idea of you spoke about Hollywood writers, they begin at the end, they work out what's the climax, what's the peak that we want to get to, and uh, yeah. how do we build towards that? So sort of looping back around to our, our first question about the calling, how can we sort of find our calling in life and, and use that as the end point and work towards that? Yeah, that's. but the, here's the tricky thing is that the, cert, the reason why we search for a calling is because we don't know what it is. You know, there's something about the hero's journey. It's always enacted, I think, in a benighted state. You know, we don't know what we're doing. We're lost. So if you could sort of cut to the chase and just say, oh, you know. <laughs> but like I said, I, I really knew my calling was being a writer, but I was so full of doubt, so full of self-doubt about it that I couldn't hang my hat on it in any way. I, every time I would say to myself, oh, you got to be right. You got to be right. I got immediately say to myself, ah, you're kidding yourself. You're an idiot. You don't have a chance to do it. Forget it, you know? So um, I don't know if that makes any sense, but it, it, <laughs> it is, it's a mystery. That's why, you know, it's a hero's journey because you you don't know, you don't know what the hell you're doing. Absolutely. Steve, before, uh, before you wrote, your books, The War of Art, I mean, your books have inspired a lot of people around the world, inspired us to try and get through our uh, book, which was just like eating eating glass in many ways. What, before, what were the books that helped you along your journey before you were an author and that, that really long period where you were just toughing it out in your day job and just, you know, persisting and persisting? What were the books at, at that time in your life which kept you going? Uh, that's a great question. Um, one of them, I don't know if you guys have, have, have you heard of Henry Miller, Tropic of Capricorn, Tropic of Cancer? I haven't, any of those I haven't read them, but uh, I've heard of them. Uh, I mean, he was a huge influence on me. Henry Miller was, uh, uh, I think his heyday was like the thirties and the forties. And he was one of those guys that his books were banned because it was too much sex in them. Oh, they cool. were banned everywhere. <laughs> Nobody could buy them, you know? Um, 
But in fact, what he was really writing about was the struggle to become a writer. He was an American that was born in Brooklyn and went to Paris and, you know, not at the same time as Hemingway, but, but after him. And his, his books were, uh, they're just great. You know, I would just, I would sometimes copy them word for word, you know, and, and he would talk about, uh, you know, the struggle to, to write and to, uh, you know, to find his, his medium of expression. Um, Hemingway, I loved Hemingway too. I still love Hemingway. Um, I would read those over just because they were so good. And also like any great piece of piece of writing, if you're like, uh, I love movies too. And I would just watch movie after movie after movie and watch them again and again and again, and just uh, trying to dissect them and learn from them. And just, just, uh, and on music is the same way. You'd see, hear something that's like so great. You go, oh man, I've got, you know, it would just inspire you to try to do that somehow. Rather yeah, yeah. than say some specific how-to book, it was really more just great music, great writing, great movies. Yeah, that's so interesting. I'll, I'll buy it on the movies. What what movies have you watched the most and, you know, somehow relates to keep you going? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, uh, I, I really go for I love the classics. I mean, The Godfather, oh, Lawrence, yeah. uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Seven Samurai, if you've ever seen that one. Have you guys seen that one? No. Oh, I'm man, you got to put this on your list. It's a Japanese movie, Seven Samurai, all-time great, top five ever. Um, Dr. Strangelove, Chinatown, um, and, you know, Apocalypse Now. You know, I could go on and on. Yeah, well, Alien, um, Blade Runner. Um, I've got about two from that list that I've watched, so I've got a bit of homework to do, I think. Uh, maybe, maybe you do. Maybe you do. I know a lot <laughs> of times when I, when I recommend things to young folks like you, they kind of give me, I get that blank stare. It's like, what? <laughs> and when I was first in Hollywood and I worked with, uh, like I said, I worked with a partner for a while and he was like, you know, maybe 15 years older than me. And he would just tell me about these movies, you know, uh, Double Indemnity, Narrow Margin, um, The Maltese Falcon, all kinds. Of, and I would look at him with this blank stare like, what's that? Never heard of, you know. But he would make me watch them. And, and I kind of got into it. And I started, you know, anytime somebody would refer to some great movie that they loved, I'd go out of my way to see it. And, and it helped. You know, it's the canon. You know, it's the it's the great stuff. You got to know it. I guess on that sense, as a as a book podcast, uh, I'd put War of Art in the must read category. We've seen you uh, on Instagram. You do like a books I've loved. Is there any books that you'd have as like a in that can as an absolute must read? Um, <laughs> now, are we talking about for writers and artists, or just for regular people? Uh, let's well give us both if you've got both. Uh, um. Trying to remember because uh, what what I've been talking about one uh, one great book that I love is uh, autobiography of a yogi. Did uh, did you? We've got it. We've got it on the shelf. Oh yeah, right there. You got it. Oh yeah. Ah, great. I'm ready. Yes. <laughs> wonderful book. Wonderful book. Um, that really sort of opens your mind to um, uh, what can I say? Metaphysical, spiritual stuff that you might not have believed in that uh, really, really helps. So I'll, I'll tell you a couple of other crazy ones. Um, 
Uh, have you ever heard of A Course in Miracles? No. I've got it around here somewhere, but A Course in Miracles is another really spiritual type of book. It's actually, uh, it was very popular in the 70s, like everybody was, was and it's actually um, a, a, a literal course of a lesson a day for 365 days. Then they're all kind of spiritual lessons that you're supposed to sort of plant in your brain at the start of the day and and uh, and then live out and uh, really, really deep stuff. Um, another great book, I don't know why I'm getting into spiritual stuff, but uh, the Bhagavad Gita. Have you ever read that or heard of that? I, I haven't read it, but I have watched The Legend of Bhagavants a couple of days ago. Well, ago. I stole that from, I stole a book from, the, the Bhagavad Gita is basically the Hindu Bible. That's the kind of a bad version of what it is, but it's the concepts of karma, previous lives, duality, non-duality, uh, yoga. Um, there's just amazing stuff in there told in a really wonderful way. So those are at least a few that I would recommend. Well, I think it's great that you're recommending spiritual books because I feel like a lot of them are somewhat tarnished, like a book, like A Course in Miracles, like you know, some people might just pass it off as a bit of woo-woo kind of stuff because there are probably a few woo-woo-y type books that have kind of hurt that whole genre. So, yeah, it's good to hear someone who's yeah. a pragmatic and really practical person just recommend books like that because I think, uh, you know, we can jump into them as well. Well, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's really true that uh, the writer's world, as you know, is traveling between dimensions leaving the conscious dimension when you're writing something, particularly a story where you're inventing it and going to another place, right? Where you get into kind of a flow. And once you've done that and that becomes your life work and you realize that it's about moving from one dimension to another, spiritual things start to make a lot of sense because that's what they're talking about. You know, they're talking about leaving the material body, at least for a moment, and going to some other place. Um, so, you know, in, that, in a spirit, pure spiritual sense, you're sort of seeking God. You're seeking union with God, or you're, whether you're meditating or you do something like that. When you're a writer or an artist, you're just trying to find the next idea. But it's the same thing, because you're going into your head and coming, you're, you're going into, you're starting with nothing and coming back with something. And that's a miracle. I love that. Um, thanks so much for taking the time to, to speak to us, uh, two blokes from Australia. Uh, it's been uh, fantastic, fantastic. To, uh, fantastic to chat to you. Uh, where can people find uh, more about you, your work, your books, and maybe uh, what, what are you working on at the moment or what's coming up next? Um, I'm, I'm, on the, I'm on Instagram. You know, you can just Google my name and it'll come up. I'm going to put up one book that's my, my newest book, A Man at Arms. Is that it's backwards, but uh, that's uh, just came out a couple of months ago. It's a story set in the ancient world, um, and uh, I've got more stuff coming all the time. Too good. Well, thank you, thank you so much. Uh, it's been amazing to chat, um, and looking forward and to, you, to everything that comes Thanks, there. That was phenomenal. It's real. Thanks for talking to a bloke like America. <laughs> Perfect. Oh,